Should you be ramping up your phishing and crisis simulation tests with the remote workforce? Which of your security protocols have you changed to enable your organization to function without colleagues trying to find a way around security? On this episode of the TICE podcast, I chat to Martin Lippman, CTO and CISO of the Kelsey Sebald Clinic in Houston, Texas. We talk about data loss prevention and the changes the clinic made in response to the COVID-19 crisis and the changes they didn't make. I'm Russell, Head of Content at TICE, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Okay, Martin, thank you for joining us today. Could you give me a brief overview of your career and your current role and responsibilities? Certainly. Um, I have been in the uh, IT side of the business uh, for probably more years than I want to admit. I've worked in multiple industries, in the energy business, in uh, high technology manufacturing, and then in healthcare. Today, I am the CTO and CISO at Kelsey Siebel Clinic in Houston, which is a multi-specialty practice that has more than uh, 50 medical specialties, a little over 450 high-quality physicians. We we do a lot of virtual care, especially since COVID, but we were doing it before. We are um, a... uh, uh, been active on EMR uh, since the early days, if you will. We are a uh, cancer treatment center as well, so we do have some of the highest uh, uh, rated uh, cancer radiation surgery in the uh, in the Houston area, and um, even better than some of the top uh, cancer places here. And then we do infusion. Uh, we have a certified sleep center. We're a nationally accredited accountable care organization, and I could go on, but it's a great place to work and provides a tremendous amount of uh, coverage for uh, more than half a million Houston area residents. Excellent. It's, it's COVID I wanted to start talking about. Um, how close to your planning was your actual response to the COVID-19 crisis? So it's interesting from a um, both from a clinical and an IT standpoint, as I said in my introduction, we had begun doing virtual visits as part of our overall healthcare plan uh, actually several years ago. In addition to that, from an IT perspective, we had migrated to a virtual desktop infrastructure, and so we were well prepared, prepared for remote work because for all intents and purposes, whether you're in the office or at some other location, as long as you've got a decent internet connection, you can get to your desktop. So I would say that uh, while we never anticipated the, the range and extent of the pandemic that we we're experiencing, uh, from a preparedness standpoint, we were operating in a mode that was able to adapt very quickly. And so your, your crisis simulations, for example, were they, were, they, were they close enough to the real thing? So we have done um, a number of desktop exercises around disaster recovery and incident response. And in all of those incidents, as we work through those in IT, we primarily focus on the loss of connectivity or how we would convert to manual processes. But the reality is that really as part of those discussions, we plan for and talk about how the clinic will operate if we have to work in a mostly remote 
approach or if we have to consolidate functions into uh, just a specific set of clinic locations. So I would say, yes, our, our planning drilled us for that, but not with the context of pandemic in mind. I understand. Um, can, I, can I ask about insider threats during the COVID-19 pandemic um, and work from home in general? So humans under pressure or under stress can often make poor decisions, especially around security. Are you, are you seeing anything like this at the moment without divulging too much, obviously? Well, certainly we saw, um, we saw a desire on people's part to, to relax some of our security approaches. And my response to that and my team's response to that was to say, you know, crisis or no crisis, security needs to be the same in both conditions. And we should not relax our security approach. I guess to the credit of our leadership, as uh, various discussions came up and I pushed back against those, I had their continued support to maintain the same uh, type of security posture that we had all along. And I'll use a specific example. We have, because we do have a lot of remote work before, as well as especially during the crisis, we have always restricted printing from home as a, uh, a data loss prevention initiative. And when many more people were working from home and there was a demand for the ability to print from home, uh, we um, responded with our normal approach to those and management accepted our perspective that there's no reason to change the way we protect data when we're working remotely versus in the office. Was there any sort of pushback from the, the wider workforce from that? A few physicians. Um, they oftentimes tend to feel a little more entitled than, than, uh, than everybody else. Um, I don't mind saying that to them sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, but the reality is um, even, I uh, use the example, our chief medical officer, when I have this discussion with him, and I had one just the other day, I said, I don't let you print at home. I'm not going to let any of your physicians print at home. So there was a little bit of, of uh, pushback just because it's anomalous. I think actually what was more pressure on the IT organization was simply the ability to respond to the need for help for people who, for whom working remote was not a customary experience. With working remotely, um, is it difficult to make yourself visible and to make sure that I don't know, people in the wider organization are making good and informed decisions? Or is it a lot harder if you're not seeing a lot of your colleagues face to face? I think, I think there's a, to one extent, there is a similarity because, as I said, we have uh, probably some, well, maybe I didn't say it, but we have some 20 to 25 different locations around the city, and certainly we don't have IT people everywhere. So those people at those other locations are certainly accustomed to not dealing with us face-to-face -face necessarily, except for when we send somebody into that environment. Within the administrative building environment, uh, where we do have a centralized uh, concentration of probably uh, five or 600 people, there certainly is a lot more face-to-face -face interaction 
But even in those meeting environments, we sometimes participate virtually in those meetings because of different reasons. So I think there was a bit of an adaptation. Probably the, the, uh, the one thing that we needed to overcome within IT when we're not sitting next to each other is how we replicate the experience that we have of talking to each other over cubicles, um, walking by somebody's office and things like that. We accomplish those things, um, and, and sometimes those interactions occur over Skype or Teams uh, communications even in the office. So we certainly are doing many more of those types of conversations, and uh, uh, people are using soft phones, their cell phones, et cetera, to communicate. And then we've also implemented, I know within my team and many of the other IT teams, a periodic you know, 15 to 30 minute touch point call uh, I have with my management team three days a week uh, outside of our other meetings just to say, how's it going? Anything going on with anybody at home? Anything we need to know about? And trying to be responsive to that. Excellent. There's been some discussion, uh, at least with a couple of CISOs that I was speaking to, about running phishing or crisis simulation tests in the current climate as potentially being negative, it could destroy trust. Are you running a similar level of tests, phishing tests or simulations remotely, or have these changed at all? Well, I will confess that initially we held off uh, simply because of the uniqueness of the pandemic situation, but we then did restart our normal program. And in fact, we began targeting using the same kind of phishing attacks that we have been seeing in the wild, the World Health Organization simulations, the, um, the ability to acquire PPE where it was hard to get, uh, all of those kinds of things. And we did see a little bit of an uptick in response to phishing messages. Now, I think our security in general protects us pretty well from that. But we did see some uptick, and in, in that reason, we decided to uh, return to normal testing. And in fact, our CIO said, we've got no reason to hold off. Um, people are actually more vulnerable now, so it's as, it's as important for us to keep them, uh, keep the needle sharp, if you will, uh, just as we would in normal operating. And you didn't alter these tests at all, these crisis simulations, you wanted to keep the needle sharp in, uh, as you had it previously. Right. In fact, if, if anything, uh, one of the things, uh, I have a, a compliance uh, guy who works for me who, who handles the phishing space, and he and I discussed very specifically the, the opportunity to fine-tune those tests to, to match the real world as close as possible. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Martin. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank you. Now, thanks to Martin for his time and thoughts. As ever, there are more podcasts, video interviews and articles on www.tice.co.uk. We look forward to welcoming you back.